But ageless ways a cagey great displays. Yo, hey, this ain't a game. So stays awake, because if you came to play, you'll all behave insane. After we change the game, it won't remain the same. I'll fade away. So make your disc and play this tape in your Camaro. Amazing phase your days, your hazy ways, my blazing arrow. Continue podcast, episode 120. Like it says in the planning email about this episode, more like continue 420. It's not. Could like you that imagine what we what, if if slash if we when? get to four twenty? If we get, I don't think it's an if, my my friends. <laughs> I'm there. I I will tell you this. I have gotten. High... Anthony, I desperately need you to turn your camera off and on again because it froze and I oh, cannot. I cannot deal with. <laughs> is it is it the worst? It's it was it it was. <laughs> Anthony doing the uh, Chef Boyardee okay yes. me. I feel like very, 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 like, you know. I look, do I, I look like. Uh, oh, God. The guy who makes Nier. What's the the, oh. the, the mask that Yoko he wears? Yoko Taro. Yeah, what do, do you I do look it? like Yoko? Dude, I'm fucking tired, man. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> tired, so cast. tired. So tired. Uh, Gonna yes. get loopy and it's, silly. Yeah, everybody, this is going to be a rambly punchy episode and just i'm i'm happy you're all in for it uh it is the end of a long long uh first three years of a decade my name is anthony john Agnello. uh this is a show that is ostensibly about video games uh and with me are the two people that make it we have uh susan arndt susan okay i don't know when the last time y'all had a milkshake was oh it's been a while I hadn't had one easily 10 years. Mm. And I just had one last week and I'm still thinking about it. Religious experience? It was real good, y'all. Sure. Was it like yeah. a like a chain or was it a local place? It was a Whataburger. It was a Whataburger. Oh, yeah. What strawberry shake. Oh. So Man. when whenever anyone comes at me with the like your favorite ice cream question, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not an ice cream guy, but like it's it's uh, Anthony finally has to pay for his crimes death row final meal kind of request. Got it. This this would be the dessert. Was uh, I went to Penn State University for college. Penn State is known for its agriculture program and its dairy true. program. It's the big deal. Their creamery is the noise. And they discontinued this flavor about 20 years ago. I think I know what you're going with. But no, 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 no. This is this. I don't know if you do. Okay. Because it was it was like a test thing that they only had on the menu for, I think, 2000 to 2002. Oh, okay. They made a flavor mm-hmm. and they only sold it in September and October called Autumn Delight. Ooh. Ooh. And Autumn Delight was French vanilla ice cream. Oh. With apple pie ingredients <gasps> crammed into it, it was yes! cinnamon, oh. apple compote, uh-huh. caramel, and actual fucking chunks of pie crust. Yeah. And when I tell you, no one else asked for them to shove this abomination into a milkshake, but me. I would get the milkshake with that and the fucking chunks of apple pie in the bottom of it, and just sit there. A fresh pack of clove cigarettes, and <laughs> I was gonna live forever. <laughs> that was immortal. Uh, 
But like I like I when I crave a milkshake, that's what I want. And it's yeah. I, I don't also have I don't have like five dollars and a time machine. Like it's not yeah the combo that's on hand. What yeah. flavor was it? What flavor? It, what? it was strawberry. Strawberry. Uh, it was just basic uh, because they sadly they no longer had the Dr Pepper shake. Oh shit! That I wanted to try desperately. They had cha- They do a limited flavor and then they switch it out. And they had switched it out to uh, banana pudding, and uh, and that was not my jam. So I just went with my my the classic strawberry, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. Oh man. Oh, man. Uh, Especially when it's 107 degrees outside. That's too hot. That's too hot. It is. It's too much. Uh, The person on this podcast who was the inspiration for LL Cool J's song, Too Hot, (laughs) that's Staff Roberts, Dave Roberts. Okay, so I I don't want to devolve into political speak because it's all a nightmare. But the one thing that I do want to say that I love about the democratic process at least in washington i don't know if you guys get this but every time there's an election they mail out a pamphlet and this pamphlet has like written descriptions provided by each of the candidates that describe their like employment experience it is a great opportunity to see the rich tapestry of the human experience in one document um Let's see. There's a there's a fellow Twitter follower who posted a few links to these. I want to read one of them. Uh, elected experience, none. Other professional experience, watching C-SPAN for 30 years. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, is there, wait, wait. What is the punctuation at the end of that sentence? Is it a period or none, an exclamation nothing, none, point? None. Or a question none, mark. None. Question mark. none. Uh, here's another one. Elected experience, hashtag family court reform challenge. Oh boy! I don't know. What, yeah, I don't know what that. Uh, other the, profession- bar- the barking is the appropriate response for everybody listening. Other professional is- experience. Go duck, duck, go, or Google hashtag family court reform challenge to find out more about me. My Facebook page is open. Oh no! <laughs> um, statement as the world. Here's a different one. As the world's only ever simultaneously licensed doctor, lawyer, accountant, and engineer, plus business owner and creative semicolon all kinds of people can talk with me about highly complicated issues i have traditional values but willing to change my mind when the facts change i cannot be bribed intimidated nor extorted and have no vices colon i'm the kind of qualified and incorruptible citizen who should be in congress please join me in helping our great country continue to succeed see my kindle booklet quote the center parentheses available on amazon for my positions what is this willy-nilly use of semicolons and colons? That's... <laughs> Bad Yeah. It's... It is... If, if, if your state does not do this, I highly recommend lobbying your representatives and make them do this. It's... It's... It's, it's the most... It's the most fun part about voting every year. <laughs> As a as a serial uh, lister in things that I write, I, I write very long sentences that both of you have had to copy edit and yeah. edit. Very long sentences, which make liberal use of semicolons in place of commas and Oxford commas. I, I I'm not going to say that like I always have an appropriate semicolon placed, but it's it's a accurate usage of a semicolon 
what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> that, that he has rendered two sentences meaningless. It is the it is the only kind of grammatical structure you get when you spend a lifetime posting to Facebook. Really? I think. Mm-hmm. It's That's like accurate. there's something like I've gotten I've gotten letters in the mail back when I lived at my previous apartment complex from like I think it was someone living there as well who was like just slotting these in everyone's mailboxes um for some issues with the hoa that was responsible for the apartment this is like a a part it was actually a condo uh complex that we were renting from and just like it's the kind of i can only describe it as like like boomer capitalization just this (laughs) this incessant (laughs) desire to capitalize rent it's it's like reading a document from the 1700s right where just like 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 <laughs> nouns are capitalized there are quotation marks where there should be none it's um boomer capitalization yeah finally so, a name for our dubstep album <laughs> I, okay so i uh, there is a fascinating book called because internet mm. which breaks down the differences in how people communicate informally online based on what generation they're from Mm. and so you know like the whole boomer tendency to use overuse ellipses yes Yes. okay so it gets into that because they were raised on typewriter this is how you communicated right (sighs) yeah but this is less formal than an actual letter that you would stick in an envelope so they recognize that there should be space between thoughts, <laughs> but there isn't a way to put that physical space between thoughts. Right. So in goes the ellipsis. And they have no proper composition training whatsoever. Correct. Wow. That's really yeah. interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. I want to read this and book. It, go- it goes into yeah. <laughs> all of It's really, really fascinating. And it goes into like, you know, why... If you're if, like if you mm. use any kind of leet speak, mm. like you are probably this age, you probably encountered the internet at this age, and it it really gets into interesting, very 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 precise sort of nailing of vocabulary usage, punctuation, all that stuff. It's amazing. That's fascinating. I gotta yeah. I gotta read that. That sounds so so good. Um, that actually transitions very well into our first topic today, because if you're wondering why does the video game Klonoa Fantasy Reverie exist, the answer is because internet. Because <laughs> that's true, actually. Yeah, the answer is because yeah. internet. Actually, even that is is open to interpretation. I am shocked that this game exists. If anybody is unfamiliar, this is a compilation of Klonoa Door to Phantom Isle and Klonoa 2 Lunatea's Veil which were two platformers made uh, at the end of the 90s for the PlayStation 1 and then the PlayStation 2 uh, and I, I, I don't even know if it's fair to say that these games have a cult following I don't other than I secretly 
developed like a sleepwalking habit and found a monkey's paw. I don't have an explanation as to why this game exists or why they would make this. I wonder, because I wonder if it's the same reason why the like why Square Enix keeps making new saga games because yeah. there's just somebody there not, at the company it, who Hideo Yoshizawa, the guy that created it, has not been with uh, Bandai Namco for many years, huh. uh, and he was the only one that wanted to see this thing exist. And like, I can't. It, it does strike me as, you know, Namco specifically remembering, hey, we have this war chest of IP. Maybe we mm. could turn this into an animated series. Maybe we could make turn this into, like, product and stuff like that. Because this is part of the, the branding of it when it ultimately came out didn't have this as part of it. But... Um, the recent re-release of Mr. Driller, Drilland, and Katamari Damacy, mm. and uh, all of those games, uh, when they were originally trademarked, they all had, like, Katamari Damacy Encore, Mr. Driller, Drilland, Encore. That's and true. So this was supposed to be, when the original trademark came out, it was like, Kledoa Encore, it's like, we're gonna bring this shit back out and see if it sticks this time. Interesting. Uh, and it never will. <laughs> 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 I wish just put you guys that, put that period right on there, huh? You, you guys, you guys really want to make fetch happen, and fetch is never going to happen because Klonoa is a a game out of time. It was a game out of time when it came out for the first time in 1997, and it it's so funny the the things that made Klonoa so impactful 25 years ago are now very commonplace. Mm. Uh, you, uh, you know, as some listeners might know, Susan and Dave definitely know, this is like one of my three favorite games ever made. And it is, outwardly appears to be a very cartoony platformer. Hey. In the, like lots, in the, of, lots of yeah, that. Lots, lots of, of hey. funny, a lot of funny animal Woo-hoo. noises. Uh and presented in a, a super weird sort of anthropomorphic style, but belying that is a, a a very emotionally dark, complex story. And I don't mean like dark and gritty like a Christopher Nolan movie. I mean like, spoilers, you get to the end of the third level and the cartoony villain fucking murders your grandfather and your wow. little cat boy. Screaming in the wreckage of his little fantasy town. Grandpa! (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, like, I wanted to play this when I was 16 just because I loved 2D platformers still, and they really weren't making them that regularly anymore. That wasn't a thing in 1998. Uh, uh, You know, after the Super Nintendo... It was like your choices were uh, you could play like Mischief Makers or Pandemonium. What about and Tomba? neither were good. <laughs> Tomba was good. Tomba's like not a platformer though. Tomba's like secretly a sort of Metroid adventure game. Like yeah. Tomba, you have to go out, you have to get items and all this shit. This now, is a pure... now you're just arguing arguments. Oh yeah, like like just pure. This is like a, Mario. Yes, you're at the beginning of a level. You have to get to the end of the level. The mechanics are very very precise and rich now this remake (sighs) look i i there's no me sound not sounding like a fucking lunatic (laughs) i i can't sound like a crazy person here 
I can't not sound like a crazy person rather because you know, I care about this thing too deeply. So I think that some people might play this remake and be like, oh, that was really, really good. I I get it. You know, that was good. But I play it and like the controls feel wrong. The collision feels wrong. And it doesn't hit right. And the reason, though, that it doesn't hit right is kind of unusual. The original game... Part of what makes it so special isn't just sort of its emotional ambition or how good the platforming is. And it really is. Like that old PlayStation 1 game is pound for pound top three platformers of the 90s. Bar none. Like up there with Super Mario World. It's that. It feels that good. I don't and know, that, man. Oh, dude. It feels. Yeah, I just love. I love the, the fluidity of using one of those enemies to get for higher in the air. It's just amazing. But the. The game itself is fascinating because of how many different artistic styles and disciplines are crammed into it to make the game at all. So you have, you know, the, the again, it's not kind of a term you hear anymore, but it's like 2.5D. So you are always running from left to right, but the environment is polygonal. And you sort of go in and out of it, even though you're always on one plane. The characters, however, are sprites. They're hand-drawn. And they all look sort of like these weird, fuzzy Super Nintendo characters. And then you have what was, in the style at the time, like CG cinemas. You had these like fully animated computer graphics cutscenes. And they're super detailed, like way, way better looking than anything you saw in like Final Fantasy VII or stuff like that. They looked really, really cool and allowed for like really, really expressive characters in certain key moments. But then on top of that, they did super weird shit where there would be in-game cutscenes where characters were talking to each other and then they would use pre-rendered models of the characters that were hyper detailed and almost show them in like storybook dioramas. And the cumulative effect of all this is that the game felt actually like a dream, and not in that we're talking about an indie platform, it's just dreamlike, dreamlike and surreal, <laughs> a fever dream. No, the game is literally supposed to be taking place in the world of dreams, and the amalgamation of different artistic okay. disciplines used to create it ends up conjuring a very dreamlike effect. Okay. And the remake flattens all of that. It just <gasps> Oh. Well, cuz it, it, it's it's all remade in the style of the second one, right? Where no, it's it's not even remade oh, in the wow. style of the second one. It's just a we had a limited budget and so everything is just flat shaded, very simple, clean 3D graphics. It looks very nice. It, but it's totally uniform and it's it's even i would say sort of uh less detailed than the wii remake from 2008 it's very well like it's well made even though the control isn't as tight the i played it on switch and playstation 5 uh even though the control and like the collision and all that stuff doesn't feel very tight it's still very playable but the expressiveness, the reason that so much of that bizarre story 
is so impactful is the strangeness of its presentation. And, you know, I, 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 a couple of things I wanted to bring to you guys. When you're remaking something, what is your responsibility to the original work, if any? Because I'm not sure that there really needs to be any responsibility towards the original work beyond, you know, if you deviate so far, why aren't you just making something new? Uh, but the other question is, is, you know, it takes so much effort to make one presentational style for something that works. Why bother with multiple? But all three of us know that if you take real risks with aesthetic presentation, you end up with things like What Remains of Edith Finch? You end up with things like Disco Elysium. You end up with things that can feel far more than the sum of their parts because you say, look, uh, we're bound by technology and we just have to use technology in different ways to get our, our expression on the screen. Anything goes. Don't worry about if things clash because if they clash, you might end up with something that's you know, better if it was all just one thing. That's a lot. I know I just dumped a lot on our plates. <laughs> Susan, what are you thinking about? Well, you're asking two different questions. I am. First of all. Yeah. The first question is, what is your obligation to the original thing? I am... So, you know, one of, one of my favorite things in the world uh, is antique Coca-Cola coolers sure yeah like the old-fashioned coca-cola machine that would you'd put a quarter in and you'd get a glass bottle of coke mm -hmm. and it would have the 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 thing where you could shove the bottle right in there and take the bottle cap right off like built into it i love that era of of coke machine and finding stuff like that that is complete is really, really difficult for mm -hmm. obvious reasons. These were things used in commercial locations. A shop isn't going to take care of it and, you know, all that. Um, so there is a robust industry around creating uh, restoration hardware and stuff for these kinds of things. I could very easily get a replica or semi-restored Coke machine today. I don't want that. Mm. I want the thing. Sure. If I want the thing with the hardware, with the, the paint that it was painted with back when it came out, that is what I want is the thing. However, counter to that is, okay, well, if you, if you insist on that, then you can't have the thing at all. Right. And games are meant to be played. And it is a fact that because the because games are so specific in how you can play them, like if you don't have a PS1, you can't play the original flipping game. Sure. Right? So it's a work of art, it's meant to be enjoyed and appreciated and Unlike, say, a, a work like the Mona Lisa, you can see, you do not have to go to the Louvre and look at the actual Mona Lisa. You can see a picture of it and understand it and appreciate it, and that's okay. But a game, you got to play it. You have to have the thing to play it. Yeah. So 
I, I think my personal thinking is you got to get as close as you can to the original experience. But the ultimate goal is always to make sure that people can play it. Yeah. I, I see. Now, in that case, man, like this, this isn't even a facsimile. That's that's part of the issue to me mm-hmm. is that it, you know, it it's I, I'm impressed with the like the extent with which they recreate every moment of the game in this just sort of flat, consistent art style throughout the entire thing. Like, that's impressive. Yeah. And I think it would have taken less effort, though, to make sure that you had an, you know, in the software PlayStation one emulator yeah, and the like that, like that, that's it. the thing. It's like what, like this. I don't know if it's like game developers, ju- or like publishers, just have an aversion to thinking like people don't want to play old games. And you know, maybe they have the data to back this up or whatever, or that they're just so averse to the idea of ROMs as a con- an emulation as a concept, right? That uh, they 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 can see something that is just like, oh, like, like, uh, Frank Cifaldi, uh, I've linked it multiple times in our discord on the, I, like he does this really great talk, uh, at GDQ, uh, uh, uh not GDQ it's game like developers. Five, no, yeah. No, GDC. 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 It was like five uh, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years back, just about how like, like game publishers should stop viewing emulation as like a bad thing. Cause it's not, it's like, if you want to, like if, a if, if a, if a film production company wants to put their movie out somewhere, all they need to do is re-encode a video file and put it out. Why can't game developers treat games the same way? Not to say that there's not value in remaking a game uh, in the way of Klonoa. Um, I'm like uh, I'm reminded of the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake, which mm. does a similar thing where it kind of flattens the... Uh, design of the game to combine mechanics from both games into one experience mm, yeah. a universal art style universal yeah. progression across both games but in that case it it works like it fits and they they do enough to the game to make it feel like and play like and look like you remember but like elevating the experience like they, yeah. they put work into it uh but on the other hand for something like klonoa like why can't they just take or work with open source developers all the work is done they mm-hmm. could just go all the like since it's open source all you have to do is credit them and like you know there's i'm sure there's other stuff but like for, for the most part you just need to credit them uh and package a rom and sell it like just sell it mm, to people yeah. and like or just make that an option as things that you can do and there are companies that do that <laughs> uh but like a lot of i, I think there it may be like like just like a Japanese cultural thing too, and a lot of it is probably Nintendo because Nintendo like yeah. it, like but, their their website is like straight up like emulation is bad and illegal, <laughs> and it's like but what are you guys doing with Switch Switch Online is all that, emulation that's all, all you're emulation. doing. <laughs> so you know yeah. Square Square, however, like all of their they've been really aggressive about re-releasing stuff from the PlayStation yeah. 1 era and all of <laughs> to, that is to, to mixed you know, degrees of success to, mix, to mixed degrees of success all of that stuff is emulated like Chrono yeah, Cross like, emulated uh, like, Legend of Mana emulated all of it yeah um, uh, Ryan in the Discord who's been like kind of digging into the Chrono Cross remaster has been talking about a lot of it uh, with me and in the in the channel and stuff was like talking about how like because like modders are pulling it apart because it's like why like there's just so much about it that's broken and it's like yeah. 
almost that it's like an emulation on top of an emulation like that there are two different sets of things running to make this game work on modern it's like absolutely wild what they tried to do to get this to run um on top of adding like ai layers that and uh like uh increase the resolution of all of the backgrounds that uh, them having to do the manual work to fix it i wonder if any of this i i do think it's more likely that it it comes down to at least in part a a cultural bias but i do wonder if any of it is rights obligations contractual obligations if it would like because normally almost uh, most of the time if there's a common sense solution that isn't being done it's because money's attached in some way (laughs) so something something that's actually very interesting about it is the you know besides like the music and all of the design stuff the one original asset that was is just not remade at all is it's the exact same voice track for all of the characters so Hmm. all of that voice acting which is the big licensing thing that always tends to fuck up these old uh you know reissues or re-releases is it clearly wasn't a hurdle here they just it's very weird to be playing something that has this hyper modern very clean 4k presentation and then you have this crazily compressed the bit rate on the audio is just (laughs) and like you know they got real voice actors to do this fantasy language in the first place so it's just this hyper compressed audio of people 25 years ago being like you're like why keep that exactly Well, that I can answer, because otherwise, then you have to write a script. Well, the script, no, but they have a script. There's an English subtitles for everything. (laughs) They have an English script. They just record. Susan, this game's so fucking weird. I know it looks like it isn't, and then you play it, and you're like, what is this? Uh, The weird counterpoint to all this is the remake of 2 is great. Like, the remake of 2 is a dramatic improvement over the original playing the original two is i i I never sort of had the affection for two that i had for one it's a very different more normal game (laughs) it's just like a video game it's just a good it's just a game it's just i don't like it it's just a good i like it it's just just a good game it's just a good video game it's not like traumatizing i need I, like I, every God, that's there. You go. That's it. Honest tombstone, right there. Video game. It's not traumatizing. <laughs> it's I like I. You know, you guys know my relationship with the world is that I'm the ninja from Metal Gear Solid. It's just like hurt me more. Uh, <laughs> but two, like two, is weird. It was one of those year one PlayStation two games. And like ah, all okay. year one PlayStation 2 games, it has a lot of weird, awkward design elements. It's very mm-hmm. weird to play the original game, even on original mm-hmm. hardware now. Well, because you, you don't think that the mm-hmm. bouncer is the pinnacle of game design? <laughs> so, Fanta Vision all day! <laughs> Yo, 
Okay, what do all three of those games have in common? Fantavision, The Bouncer, and Klonoa. No developer had figured out how to deal with the progressive scan of PlayStation 2's output oh, properly yeah. yet, so everything's constantly changing resolutions. Oh, yeah, that got, you got that interlaced right. um, yeah, so scan, when you play, TV scan. You know, like, even if you have something like a Frame Meister to, you know, make sure the game looks right on a you know modern tv if you have klonoa 2 in a real playstation 2 your input on an hd tv will blink out for a second while a level loads because it's jumping from 240p to 480i back to 240p oh wow it's very weird so the remake smooths all that shit out and it was like all the remake stuff of one doesn't it doesn't jive that they were like, oh, we're trying to make it look aesthetically like 2, because 2 is so much more detailed than the remake of 1. Like, far more uh, like far more textures and stuff in the backgrounds. It's just very pretty, and now it plays much more smoothly. Um, mm. It's a, like it's awesome. Like It's really, really fun. It's just the remake of 1 is... Like, it's... You guys miss... You guys missed the point. Just soulless. Missed, yeah, yeah. It's it's not soulless. Well, it's just... I mean, okay. You say they missed the point, and I think you have to think about what the point is. Right. I know. Yes. Right. Like why it is meaningful to you, and why a person plays it. Right. Will sometimes line up, but a lot of the time, people just want to play a nice platformer, my dude. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's why I started so, all this with a caveat. There's no way for me to sound yeah, exactly, not yeah. unhinged yeah. during this and conversation. I mean, this is the thing. You're not wrong. Like, what made it special yes. when you played it matters. I, and that definitely has a, has an impact. I will say that I've read a lot of reviews and reactions to this remake because it has, like, you know, the, the series has a reputation. It, it does, does yes. it, you know it, it it doesn't it doesn't even have a cult following but it does have a reputation and i've seen a lot of people playing it and they're like well i finished one huh like <laughs> like why why did people talk about this like it was such a revelatory thing yeah. and i do i do think the presentation has an enormous amount to do with that like um, Not just the presentation, but just the context of being in 1997. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, yes. and playing a game like this at the time that you did. And, and, like, you know, make no mistake, there is no Hollow Knight. There is no Celeste. There is no mm -hmm. of these indie platformer darlings without the existence of this game. Like, flat out. Or really, like, the work of the director, Hideo Yoshizawa, most people don't know this, because he's never like he's never been a Miyamoto or you know mm -hmm. somebody who people know. <laughs> but like he, he's never gone on record saying you'll be ashamed of your words and deeds. He's, he's, never, <laughs> said, he's never said I think of myself as a warrior. He's never, he's never done that. Uh, but Hideo Yoshizawa has two like big credits. He's the okay. guy that made Ninja Gaiden One for the NES. Oh wow! And so in a lot of ways, he's the guy that created cutscenes. Like, oh, as yeah, okay. we know them, he's the guy that created cutscenes. Mm -hmm. And then, ten years later, he made this. And, you know, uh, I, I think people remember those games because they're both, like, really, really good formal exercises of, like, ex like 
action platforming traditional video game shit with really weird ambitious storytelling experiments thrown in on top uh susan you said before we started recording you had a question about klonoa so before we before we jump off what was your question are his ears hands his ears are not hands they're just big floppy ears okay they're just the end the ends of them look like look (laughs) like they could be hands (laughs) it's it's, he's just got he's just got big floppy weird ears is he a bunny then no, he's Klonoa. He's just Klonoa. Okay. Okay. He's, do you guys want the spoiler? Do you guys want you guys want the big spoiler? Sure. Uh, sure. I don't this care. Dude, right. this so, game's like a million years old. Do yeah, it. Yeah. The statute I mean, of limitations is gone. Yeah. So like this entire game, you know, you're you're in the world of dreams. The world of dreams is being corrupted by a nightmare. That it's typical fantasy shit. You know, mm-hmm. your 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 nightmare bad guys' whole role in all of this. Is like he's like I'm tired of people only wanting good dreams, bad dreams, you know, are people too. So I'm just gonna fucking end the world because I'm tired of people treating me badly. <laughs> like that is the bad guy's motivation. So he kidnaps the you know uh, goddess that is there to like basically reset dreams every night. It's like everybody's hmm. dreamed. Goddess sings. Dream world starts over the next day. So, you know, the whole game, you're Klonoa, so your little bubble friend, Hupo, who comes out of your ring and inflates enemies. And, and you get to the end, and it's like, Hupo's actually the prince of the moon, and he's going to help you. And you're like, oh, this delightful fantasy stuff. You save the day, you get to the end, and Klonoa's just, like, lying in a field with Hupo. And he's, he's like, what do we want to do now? Like, my house was destroyed and my grandfather's dead, but, you know, what are we going to do? And Hupo's like, you're not real. And Klonoa's like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, we needed to bring something else here to stop this nightmare because we're all dreams. We all work on the same Mm -hmm. logic. So we needed to bring someone from outside to stop this. And I made up your life. We're not friends. And Klonoa's like, Huh? <laughs> but I remember everything. I remember my grandfather. And he's like, I we made up all of those memories. You don't you're you were never real. And Are the, you sure you weren't playing Blade Runner? <laughs> and the moment the moment the diva sings, you will no longer be here. And it's happening now. And then the diva starts singing. And Klonoa's like, but this is my life. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And a hole in the sky opens and the adorable cat bunny begins to be dragged into the sky. And the moon prince finally has a conscience and feels bad about telling this thing. He's his best friend and is desperately holding on to Klonoa as he screams, I don't want to go. I don't know what's out there. And then he is dragged into space and vanishes as the world is reborn credits credits <laughs> it's something was in the water over in japan in the mid 90s holy shit man it's so that's fucking like, good that's like final fantasy 8 like squall's head just turns into a giant <laughs> black hole and the ending is like and, nightmare logic but for yeah. children but for, and the the like so you know the even Gilly really is, fucks some people up, dude. <laughs> Yoshi's I was writing this at the same time that it was on. It was like 
he, it's not like, oh, there's a direct response to this. It was just this own thing. And he's talked about it since. He's like, you know, I wanted to, like a traditional fairy tale has this, em- uh, like, uh, tragedy uh, yeah. like to it. He, yeah, he wanted to. Yeah, he was like, I wanted to make a fairy tale for video games. I wanted to make our fairy tale. And well, it's like uh, like like when we talked to Don Bluth, like he had a very similar yes. kind of things. Like kids, kids can handle way more than you think that they can. Sure, and don't like don't be afraid to like go a little dark. Like yeah. fairy tales are inherently like morality plays, and, and you know, and this this does it. This covers all the bases spectacularly well, and like you know, in the old one, this is all done with like super high quality. Uh, CG, like it looks so much better than anything you were else you were seeing in 1997. It made like the videos in Resident Evil 2 and Final Fantasy 7 look like really shitty and basic by comparison. So this horrific moment is being played out with like r- profound detail. And awesome! In the way, <laughs> just completely destroying a a small but very important generation of children. Yeah. <laughs> the so in like you know in the original you know the like the this character this moon prince sees klonoa dragged out of reality and he's detailed like you know he's weeping and but you see the all of the landscape around him like brown grass is turning green flowers are blooming everything is coming back to life and like he sees you know the wind start to blow again there's actually air and he sort of smiles a little at the end it's this pivotal moment like like the world is reborn in the remake you can't even tell what their facial expressions are like it's just um, like flat it's just yeah but wait a minute then what the hell happens in the sequel well that's the thing Klonoa is just games. the the whole idea with Klonoa is like these are hit, like this is what's happening to a person when they're asleep like Klonoa is in the second game like he is like the dream traveler like the idea is the next time he falls asleep this is where he is now yeah <laughs> Susan's eyes Susan's, <laughs> it's so much weirder than you think it is that's some bullshit right there like do you get do you now understand mm. like does it make it is it becoming clearer why i'm obsessed with this yes yeah no this is so on brand for you when you got to the whole bar like he's always begging not to be torn away from his friend i'm like oh this is this is anthony in a cup yeah is what this is I mean, there's a reason i'm like this and it's this yeah game, this game it's this yeah. game's fault it was reading ray bradbury and then playing this and why well, we never went back um yeah, uh, I I do recommend uh, the the set for anybody who wants to play these games. It's uh, or just fucking emulate the original. Just go out there. You and can do it, it on your Mister now because they on have a mister. PlayStation Core. Go it, get your Mister. It runs great. Susan, you have a fascinating, fascinating question and uh, line of inquiry for our second topic today. Uh, yes, which I, I think is in a lot of ways like related to what we've been talking about, like questions of intent and purpose, and uh, you know, in this case, how does the length of something and your understanding of the length of something impact your experience of it? So yes. lay lay this out for us. Lay this all out. Okay, so uh, this started. 
the starting point is a Twitter thread from uh, Raphael von Lyrop. Lyrop. I have no idea how to pronounce his name, but he's the guy who makes the long dark. Uh, and um, which is, you know, one of my favorite games. And uh, he was watching Stranger Things season four, which if you don't already know, the f- it is broken into two air quote seasons. Mm. The first season are the first seven episodes, and each one of those is 45 to 55 minutes long. A typical drama episode length for uh, US TV shows, anyway. And then the last two are both movie length. So they're both at least two hours long, if not longer. It's weird, it's, it's really, really weird. So he was talking about that he, he, he also, it also ends on episode nine, which is unusual in that uh, Netflix series usually are 10, at least. They're either, you know, super short four, or they're 10, or they're 12, 15, or higher, right? So he starts episode nine, finishes it, thinking that there's gonna be a 10, and then there isn't. And so he was musing on Twitter, well, hey, if I had known this was the final episode, instead of watching it thinking that it was the penultimate episode, I think I would have reacted to it differently. The events that happen in season nine tie off the story. It, it comes to a, an ending. It, there, it, you know, it's not like you're like, well, now what? But, but, you know, it wraps up with the action that is going on. But it definitely sets up, sets the stage for what comes next, which will end up being season five of the show. But so his, his point was, well, you know, I wish, I really wish I had understood that this was the last episode because I would have looked at what happened differently. I would have thought about it differently and I would have felt differently about it. And I thought that had never crossed my mind before, but I thought it was really interesting because he's right. The expectations, the appreciation, the things land differently based on where you think you are in the narrative. Mm. If and I and I run into this listening to audiobooks as I as I walk the dog because with an audiobook, you have unless you specifically look at the app and see how many hours left of of uh, recording you have, you don't really know where you are in the story. It just unfolds. It, whereas if you have a physical book, you can see how many pages you have left. And so you can sort of gauge, like, is this about to wrap up? Are, are there going to be more shenanigans? Oh, or they're about to unmask the villain, but I'm only three quarters of the way through, so clearly this can't be it. And I just, I thought that was really interesting and wondering if that's is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it is it is that an unfair expectation by the audience? Is are, are we so conditioned by network television like because we are like if you're watching a procedural right. and it's it's you know quarter of the hour, you know they're about to catch the bad guy, right? So that's what made me bring this to the conversation today. I you know like it, I mean, I want to get this out of the way very quickly. 
I don't know how the fuck you watch episode nine of Stranger Things and not tacitly recognize it's an ending. <laughs> because it is so like like you said, every plot, every character based goings on from all of the previous eight episodes is resolved. Like yeah. every single character has a devoted chunk of time. There's a reason right. it's two and a half hours. Right, but the I th- like I think in that Twitter thread and Susan mentioned it a little bit too, that there's that like that thing in network TV where it's like, oh, if they catch the bad guy thirty minutes in and there's sure. still twenty minutes left, right. there's gonna be some, there's gonna be a curveball. And he's thinking, okay, so there's gonna be a curveball. Yeah. At the end of this. Yeah. And I that I, never comes. It's like a sneeze <laughs> that you can't resolve. And like that is fascinating to me. To be fair, the previous seasons of Stranger Things have ended with and everything's fine now. Sure. Yeah. And this one doesn't. This one doesn't. This has the full on Empire Strikes Back. Everybody yep. is staring off into space, wondering what comes next. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, like you have that model, like that's a known ending. Um, I I think it is weird because I think the, the problem with specifically American television and movie storytelling is the like mass serialization of everything has just completely broken our expectations of what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Um, nobody, there are no more rules. So everybody is confused. And in some ways that's very exciting. I think mm-hmm. it's cool that you have a series like, uh, stranger things or Watchmen or Ted Lasso, which, you know, sort of, range dramatically in t- in types of content but they all play with episode length in the interest of telling the best story yeah and you know that freedom is great but that flexibility comes at the the expense of the security of your audience your audience doesn't know what's going to happen yeah. and i think that you do need a certain amount of security. Well, you you need trust in your audience. I I yeah. think that this is a huge reason that Uncharted Four has the weird sort of contested relationship with people that it does because Uncharted well, Four is a fucking awesome game. But I think a lot of people went in expecting an Uncharted experience, eight to twelve hours, mm. and then you're out. And when it went on for forty, I don't think people knew what to fucking do with them. Yeah. Can I can I talk about Metal Gear? <laughs> oh my god. Well, no, because you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> the, I think relevant. the the big reason why people think that Metal Gear Solid the Phantom Pain is unfinished is because of the way that they structure that game. Because mm-hmm. it entirely plays into how people approach and 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 uh, find those like checkpoints in a story. The bulk of that game, like I want to say like 30 to 40 hours of that game happens in a segment of the game that they specifically note is chapter one. Interesting. 
and it's uh i forget what the subtitle is but yeah it's like this like prologue is the like intro chapter where everything's going to shit you're escaping from the facility like weird stuff is happening there's a giant whale that like it swallows a helicopter it's like like the whole thing is meant to set up like is is this actually happening or is this an effect of like the 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 horn, the metal shrapnel that is lodged in your head that is making you see things that aren't happening. It's already, like, setting you up to, like, th- like question everything that you're doing. And then the game goes chapter one and sets you off, okay, you do your revenge mission. You're going to go get Skullface. He fucked over everyone in your team. Uh, re- you have to rebuild Diamond Dogs. Get your get your pals back and rebuild a mother base to be a force in the world. And then you do that, and then you get your revenge. And then that's like you beat the final boss of the game. And then when that happens, the game goes okay. Now chapter two begins, and it starts to feel aimless. Like you're starting mm. to mm. lose the things that you've accumulated like all of your victories are like slipping through your fingers and the chapter structure where like story missions were being regularly doled out to you uh over time are now instead being replaced by like missions where you just kind of do the same thing but it's a little harder or you have to do without getting captured and the story missions that come are fewer and fewer between like the, the the thing that you want which is closure is being denied you as you're playing and then the game sets up its twist ending and then it just kind of ends Mm. and i think that if like if that game didn't have any mention of chapters at all i think people would care less about it but the fact that it's like specifically setting up chapter two like it even does like a coming up next on chapter two like a like a like a episode preview like it's making you think that there's gonna be more yeah but it never comes and like it's it's the way that that game is structured really plays into the idea that like you know we we want you to make you feel like something is isn't that something is missing the game is i mean in that case though it's communicating very clearly like you know the fact that the audience is misinterpreting i think a lot of the chuds that complain about you know metal gear solid 5 uh, fucking! I just watched Chud last night, and I definitely mean Chuds. The Chuds that complain about that game are just fucking bad readers. Like that game, they, mm. like, they're bad fucking readers. And the game is communicating heady themes, and they're just not paying attention. Stranger Things is trickier because you know that's a case where it's like, is is the work itself not communicating to the audience effectively enough to? you make its point felt susan you you have a perspective here that i think is different than most people certainly more people now have it than they used to because of the prominence of so many different shows of the last decade but i think you have watched a lot of bbc programming yes and that experience i think gives you a leg up than the vast majority of people do globally because BBC series are since time immemorial format is variable every single yeah. time it, there could they be- give zero fucks, <laughs> zero <laughs> fucks. <laughs> this you know a season could be 
12 episodes. It could be three. Right. They don't care. <laughs> Maybe it's an hour. Maybe it's 20 minutes. You yeah. don't know. The show will disappear for four years and then come yep. back with another season and then disappear for another two and then come yep. back with another season. Yep. Yep. We're recording this shit in the year 2022 and tomorrow we could wake up and they're like, yo, Sherlock's back. And we'd be right? like, fucking yeah. what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? And it's going to be four episodes, and one of them's going to be 137 minutes long, and the other one is five. Five like, minutes. Like, they just, they don't care. Yeah. They just don't care. And, and that's true, but what is driving this mostly is streaming services, yeah. because you don't have to leave room for commercials. Like, what happened on network TV, even, I think it was, you know, in the last 10 years, was they would start programs a little later mm. like it wouldn't happen on the top of the hour it would t- you know 1103 sure and it would it would it or it would stretch you know 5 minutes longer and they did that not to mess with format because of DVR recording yep. mm-hmm. that's it was solely 100% to force you to watch the programs or to manually pay attention to those programs. So I'll, so much of what has driven the way TV shows are made is just, you gotta stick the commercials in here, you only have so many this many commercials in the first half of the show and then the last half of the show, and it's this long for a commercial break, plus you're, you know, all of that was 100% driven by standards of, of advertising yeah and now you don't have that yeah. you don't have that on streaming services and now all of a sudden everybody's like wait whoa wait a minute wait you mean i can i i could make this 63 minutes long if i want yeah or even if they there are ads they can just put ads wherever like it yeah. doesn't matter exactly yeah. yeah yeah well they put at they they will make there is an ad break like an ad supported tiers and the ad break might be 90 seconds but the show doesn't have to account for that. Yeah. Yeah. They will just stop the show from streaming, shove in the ads, and then turn the switch back on. It's not something that the, the show has to compensate for. I went to a live football game once, uh, an Eagles game. And I had never been to one before. Oh, pro football and games are so annoying because of the ad breaks. Pro- Holy shit. Exactly. Like, I'm watching this pro football game, and they're like the drive is going, and the drive is going, and then they all just stop. And I'm like, wait wait a minute, I don't understand. Why aren't they playing? Because there's an ad going mm-hmm. and they're broadcasting the game live and they don't want anybody to to miss anything. So much of the content we consume is shaped like by advertising and that format. And now that that is no longer the case, things are getting mixed up, which is freaking people out because they've been raised on this. Yeah. We've been conditioned to expect it. But it's also super exciting for the creators to be like, I don't have to cut this line to to be able to talk about cornflakes. Yeah. Like that's awesome. I think I think it's really interesting to see how this is. I you know it's not it the 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 effect of advertising is very. It's not unique to, but it is a distinctly American experience. It is a, yes. Yes. it is very yes. much an American experience. I have, because, I yes. have a, speaking of like football, I have a theory that that's why soccer hasn't really taken off here is just yes. because, because there's, no th- there's no way to show ads. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, 
it just goes. Yeah, it's funny when you watch a soccer game, like an international soccer game that is broadcast in the United States. Like the ads are hilarious because they try to cram like three ten second spots in, and they're just like, "Didn't miss anything." Uh, we promise. But like. It, it, we we've been through moments like this creatively before, just because of shifting audience expectations. Like, so I'm watching Chud last, <laughs> and Chud Chud is a merciful 94 minutes long, and this is peak 1980s 84, and the understanding from about 1971 to you know the mid 90s was hey you got to keep your movie approximately 90 minutes long because the audience is going to get restless and mm-hmm. they're going to get the fuck out. And you know, you just got to keep it to 90 minutes. But before yep. that you go to the golden age of cinema and shit's like two and a half, three hours long because people have the money for a cheap entertainment and they want to be there all goddamn day there's going to be an intermission in the middle of gone with the wind because the expectation is i'm going to get all the bang for the buck and you're it's interesting like yeah we're now in this wild west where there's like no rules for the format of television but in games thank god we're starting to see the tide turn back towards shorter games rather than these 80 90 hour things God, because all of the people making them, it's not just data fo- like driven forces. It's not the algorithm being like, well, people prefer a, a shorter experience. It's the game creators themselves remember playing eight to twelve hour experiences, preferring that, and are heading back in that direction. Well, well, there's also there's not just that. Like there's like I I, f- I forget who had this Twitter thread the other day, but they were talking about how like. There's demand for video games right now. Like people are like, yeah. there's more demand than ever for like solid double A, triple A experiences. For good games, <laughs> right? But like, they're not being served. Like, yeah. like if you yeah. look at the release schedule for this year, like, like October just suddenly filled up a lot. But it's not like the kind of games that you would typically expect. And it's like, like all of these developers are putting so many resources into making ridiculously large like Assassin's Creed Valhalla style games where they just they want to be the game that dominates your life and yep. mo- they so they can monetize that not just your money but your time and what the market is saying is like no. we just want to buy video games <laughs> just give us the games that will buy them like and and so there's 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 this conflict between you know like c-suite type people uh shareholders etc who want that unending money spigot for the games they make and then the people who are like just let give me stuff to buy and I'll buy it. I don't want to play the one game. I want to play a lot of games. I want to see... I want .emu to do a GDC talk about the profitability of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. They sold like a million already, They right? sold a million. I want to know I want to know how much because that's $30 million in revenue right there, right? It's a $30 game. You sold a million copies. It's $30 mm. million in revenue out the gate, give or take. They've development was less than two full years um 
I can't say how I know that, but I can say I do know that <laughs> definitively. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, on top know, of that, deals with Game Pass and and other yeah, stuff that they've that they've done to right get that's that ga- out there. But that's a game that's two to three hours. It'll take you two to three hours, and it's killing. And like that's obviously not you know that's not going to be a AAA experience, but. I think that people are going to realize that there's a lot of hunger for something that is maybe only three hours that you can play again and again and again, just like a, mm. a like a ninety dollar game was in 1992. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I I think that we're. I don't necessarily know if this sort of like wild west with TV specifically is going to continue, because I think that we're starting to see the grand period of largesse in premium streaming television contracting a little. Netflix is realizing the the economic danger of being like, green light, whatever! Show about a mug! Sure! We'll be fine! Uh, we'll continue. Subscriber growth will be endless, we promise! Uh, make the, make the, the squid game game real! Right! <laughs> oh god, I just... Uh. <laughs> Yeah, so, I, like, yeah. Like, like, not this, like, you know, whether or not that there's a one-to-one correlation is debatable, but, like, the idea that they lay off a bunch of people and then announce it, signing a TV show with, like, a like, multi-million dollar prize pool, and it's just <laughs> like, hmm, hmm. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, 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 The writers can go compete in the Squid Game game if they I, want. I want to throw this out there, uh. I thought Stranger Things season four was perfect. That's my my expert critical response. I just want to throw that out there. I, I, I my issues with it are caused by problems that I honestly don't know how else you solve mm. because you've got the big the, the the biggest thing with this season is at now at this point you have so many characters it was fine when it was just like this little group of plucky kids Mm -hmm. and that was fine but then you added robin and you added erica and you got you know hopper and murray and like it it, all these people keep getting added on so you need to give them all something You, you need to split them up because you can, and this is the other thing, it's easier to have five kids in a scene because kids are small. <laughs> but now they're bigger, and it's a lot harder a lot. to have that many people in a scene. Yeah, it's a lot of grown-ups. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it, I mean, just from a practical point of view, it's just harder to do. So, uh... You got it. You got they and and to their credit, they did. They found a way to split them all into different locations, and found something for them all to do that mostly made sense. Yeah. But Team Grown Up, which is you know Winona Ryder and 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 Hopper and Murray and and the guy from Game of Thrones, because why the fuck not? And yeah. That storyline, who the hell cares? But they got to give them something to do. Yo, here's what here's what I want to put out there into the world, Stranger Things developers. Uh, Winona Ryder and Hopper. It, there's a very nice scene where they're reunited. They need to change their clothes and they're like bashful and they change in different parts of the room. Guys. Don't give Winona a stunt butt and don't give Hopper a stunt abs. I want to see their real abs and butt. 
No stunt parts, because that is clearly stunt parts. Clearly. You did see David Harbour's actual body. No, no, no. Dude, there's a shot where it's like the abs close-up. And it's just oh. it's just close up of the abs with a shirt going over it and it's like isolated. I'm like, yo, you showed his real abs twenty seconds later. Those are not the same abs. Oh, I if see. If I'm okay. getting my hot middle aged love in the middle of Stranger Things, I want it to be hot middle aged love. Why no one's all taken off her snow pants and it's just like butt in underwear. Look, no. Nah. <laughs> No. <laughs> David Harbour lost 80 pounds yo, for that. Yo, did you did you read any of the interview with him about him losing that weight? It's my uh-huh. it's my favorite celebrity interview in the world. He's just like GQ's like, "Tell us David Harbour what's your weight loss secret." And he's just like, "Hey, you know it works." And he's just don't eat. And it yep. fucking sucks. It yep. sucks and I was horrible to be around. And I, I hated it, and I'm never doing it again. And fuck you for asking. <laughs> yep. And he's like, I didn't want to, but I'll get more work this way. Like, so he's like, yeah, I it, do, um, do Mac need. from Mac from It's Always Sunny, I think, had something similar. It's like, yeah, you can look like that. It takes a ridiculous amount of time, effort, and money to do it, and it shouldn't be expected of anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really, so this is a weird thing that I've been thinking about in the wake of Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and Thor, Love a and Thunder, movie. and Stranger Things Season 4. Yeah. Is everybody's sort of having these mixed reactions to all these things, and I'm like, uh, y'all thought you wanted comics. Now you have <laughs> full <laughs> comics. They're and back. you motherfuckers didn't ah. read comics, so you don't know what full comics is. <laughs> this is what full comics is, guys. Welcome to the Rob Lifefield experience. I'm happy. I'm not surprised you're not. But <laughs> I, man, Thor Love and Thunder, I fucking loved that movie, by the way. Very shortly. Okay. It's so, like... I just like that it's like we finally got past like lasers shooting into the sky and it's like the world's ending again and they're just like let's tell a weird character story that doesn't really matter. <laughs> mm, I, I can definitely see the appeal of that. I, I really can. It's I just I didn't like what was what was the last Thor one? Ragnarok. I did like it. I think it's dumb. <laughs> it's pretty dumb. You know, I, I mean, uh, 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 Jurassic Park guy, Jeff Goldblum, he's wonderful yeah, in it. Yeah. He's great because he's great in everything. And and I love Valkyrie as a character. She's a goddess. But, like, the comedy, like, asking Hulk and Thor to do comedy is like asking me to sing and dance. Uh, Just don't. Wow, oh, man. Uh, you're, wait, 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 wait do you see uh, yeah, this movie? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I spoiler, spoiler for this movie. This movie isn't going to make you happy, Susan, but whatever movie comes out of it is going to be fucking amazing. Because the post credit scene this time, I'm not going to be mm-hmm. like, yo, yo, dude, you got to hear about the MCU post credit scene. Uh, <laughs> this one is the first time in my entire life that I audibly cheered for something in a post credit scene lifetime. Because, <laughs> so, there's the spoilers, I guess. There's a character in, like, old fucking 1960s Stan Lee comics 
that is literally Hercules. He's actually like Greek myth okay. Hercules. And Hercules, over the last 50 years of making comics, is like, Ho, Avengers! What's going on today? Let's get hammered and punch a space planet! Like, that's his attitude. He's this big, gung-ho guy, quick, like, quick with a temper. And it's a fun character to see in a good story, because he's immortal and couldn't give a shit about anything. He's always so he's he's Brian Blessed. Yes, basically. Yes, he's yes okay. he's one hundred percent that. And in the post credits of Thor: Love and Thunder, there's uh, Russell Crowe plays Zeus, and he's been shamed, and he's like, "We are going to teach the people to be afraid of the gods again, and we will do it by killing Thor, and you will do it, my son Hercules." And the camera turns, and it's fucking Brett Goldstein as this character, oh. and I was like, "Yes, yes, yes, <laughs> yes!" Everybody's gonna hate that movie. They're gonna <laughs> hate it. They're going to hate it so much. It's going to be Brett Goldstein getting drunk and throwing trash cans through windows. And I can't wait. Put it in me. <laughs> All right. Um, how punchy are you guys? I... Super punchy? Yeah. Real punchy? All right. Dave Roberts. Yeah. Tell us about. I have a, I have a good, good video Citizen, to talk Citizen, about. Let's let's bring it on home. Tell us about Citizen Sleeper. Yeah. Uh, what I, the fuck is this? Okay, so <laughs> there's the episode title. What the fuck? What the fuck is this? Fuck is this? <laughs> what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Okay, like it, it feels weird to be like back to back. These are shortlist games of the year. Like Citizen Sleeper came out in March. I'm getting to it late. So it's, it's my fault, not the game's fault. For anyway, uh, but it, no, it is. It's like it's on a short list of games of the year, and it like it's like a compelling story in the way that like Disco Elysium is, and I'll I'll get to that. But uh, basically, it's uh, it's set in the far future. Uh, you play as a sleeper who has stowed away on a spacecraft that has ended up on a space station called the Eye. Now a sleeper in game parlance is uh it's basically like what if you as a worker who's like hey i want i want a good life this company is like hey uh we'll put you to sleep we'll upload your consciousness into a robot and that robot will go out and do all the horrible work shit that like you know if a robot breaks down like we don't care um and then if the robot breaks, we'll just upload your consciousness to another robot and send it out and do whatever. And we'll just do that until your contract ends and you'll get paid and it'll be great. So very severance adjacent. Yeah. Uh, so is, the, basic, is that the Apple TV show? Is that? Yeah, yeah. it's brilliant. I, 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 I got to watch, watch that. Oh, it's amazing. The, oh, God, it's they, so good. They're going to get me to actually watch Apple TV, those bastards. Mm hmm. Uh, but so basically you play as a sleeper you play as the robot digital copy consciousness of a person who has escaped from the corporation and is just trying to survive um, in an effort to create planned obsolescence so these robots don't just go out and like escape and then live forever uh, the robot body requires uh, the game calls it medicine. I forget what the actual, like, it's like a chemical compound or whatever that the body needs to survive. And they basically, like, <laughs> the body slowly... Lysine. Yeah. 
the body slowly decays over time until it shuts down and they decommission it and then replace it with the new one. So you're on a space station that you, you don't know anyone here. You uh, are basically, you are a ticking time bomb until you shut down and you just need to survive. So the game itself is built like a pen and paper RPG. So you start out, there are three different classes to choose from. Classes only really matter in the opening hours of the game. So like there's the, I have notes here, let's see. So there's the there's the machinist who's like good for engineering stuff. There's the extractor who's meant for like brute, uh, heavy lifting kind of tasks. And then there's the operators like the hacker. And choosing from one of these three classes basically gives you a handful of skills that you start out with, as well as a plus one bonus in one stat and a minus one bonus in another stat. And the stats more or less just uh, determine what kind of task you're doing. So, like if you're doing like a job, uh, an action that requires a lot of like heavy lifting, like you're working on the dock or something, that may have like uh, like uh, I, for- I forget what it's called, but it, like like a like a physical sort of attribute. Um, if you're doing something that involves hacking something, then you'll use your intuition or whatever. Um, I, I say that it doesn't matter because by the end of the game, you'll be able to unlock most of the stuff in the character sheet anyway. So it's it really is more just like shaping your initial experience out of the gate as opposed so you, to like forcing you down a path. When you say the character sheet, like what are you? What do you see that you're interacting with? Yeah, so the way that the game itself works is that you're given sort of a a zoomed out view of the eye, which kind of looks like like the space station from 2001 Space Odyssey. Like it's this concentric Mm -hmm. ring and then there's a Mm. spoke that sticks out of the middle of it, but it's like bigger. It's meant to house like like, uh, a city, essentially. Okay. Um, And you're given this zoomed out view and there are these little nodes that appear as you move like your view around the concentric ring of the space station. And when you click into them, uh, you're essentially giving like like two lists of, uh, or lists of different things that you can do at this location. And the way that you interact with them is that each cycle, basically each turn, you're given uh, a few dice to work with. Hmm. And the number of dice that you're given to work with is based off of two factors, your condition, which is like I mentioned, like your just your overall health, basically like the, uh, the planned obsolescence bit. It's every cycle condition goes down a little bit each time. Sometimes actions, if you fail them, may decrease your condition. Um, if that gets to zero game over, you're done. You don't want that to go to zero. You need to find a way to make sure that that stays up. Uh, it also determines how many dice you have to work with. Uh, at most, you have five, but as the condition meter goes down and goes past the like width of the dice, you will get four, then three, then two, and so on. Um, and then you also have an energy meter, which is uh, determined by food. So uh, the energy meter determines how much the condition meter goes down at the end of each cycle. So you wanna make sure that you're eating regularly because otherwise you'll just wear out faster. Now, what the dice do is uh, it's this is where like in, in my notes, I was like, it's kind of like Tharsis because it's basically like you, you have a series of dice. You have different actions that you can take during your cycle and you can do as many actions as you have dice and completing an action essentially means going to one of these locations on the map, looking at the action you want to do and putting a die there. 
and the number on the die determines the successful uh, uh, the success of the outcome. So if you put a one there, chances are it, like uh, there's a skill that you unlock that will actually show you what percentages uh, each die will give you. So like on a one, you'll basically get you have a 50% chance of a neutral outcome or a 50% chance of a negative outcome. Whereas with mm. the six, it's 100% success. And mm. then that number is also influenced by your skill. So if you put a die down on a skill that you have a plus one on, if you have a five, it becomes a six, minus one, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So your goal is to maneuver through this space and uh, tr basically just try to find your footing and, and survive until you reach one of the game's endings. And to start out with, you're given, uh, you, you meet a character named Dragos who's like, hey, uh, I saw you uh, come in. That's my shipping container. I'll let you live here, uh, but you gotta help me work off one of my debts first. <laughs> it's fine, like we'll, we'll help each other out, it'll be cool. And so this introduces the drive system, which is basically just its way of giving you quests. Mm. Um, and so, as you're playing, you'll see, okay, so if I go to the shipyard where this guy works, there's a meter here, what the game calls clocks. And I can spend an action to help him pay off his debt here, and it fills that clock up. If it fills up, something happens to the story, it moves the story forward with him. There may also be other clocks, like in his case, there's a store, there's a clock that goes up each time uh, a cycle happens. So each time a cycle happens, it fills up and it's red. If it you spend too long not paying off his debt, he'll get skittish and like go like, eh, maybe this isn't working out, and you're locked off from his quest line completely. That story is over. And so the game becomes the, this balancing act of exploring locations on the space station trying to like work further out from your starting location to find medicine to find food to meet new people who will give you extra quests to unlock uh completing quests is how you upgrade your character um and then um completing those quests in enough time with enough success to further those stories and eventually make it to one of the game's several endings uh it's it's really good because the the compelling bit is just the way that like it connects you to the people in in this uh in the space station like it does the thing that disco elysium does where like there's an interview that i read a while ago and i think inkle mentioned something similar as well where they're like we we wanted to find a way to tell stories for people who spend all their time on twitter uh, you know, where it's like, rather than See, giving this, you... this doesn't sound that kind of quick hit, though. This sounds very... Like, I'll be perfectly honest, I had trouble... I have trouble following the way all of these, sim these systems interact with each other. Yeah, and it, it is a little confusing at first, and I think that that... I don't know if it's intentional, but it definitely gives you the vibe of, like, oh, like, like you're really trying to, like, uh, find your footing. Because it's really hard at first. Like, there, there, there are it may take one or two tries at the start to like really figure out how stuff works but as you st sort of like see the lay of the land and figure out like what the game wants from you it becomes much easier and by the end of the game like i had systems for finding medicine super easy i had systems for finding food and and shelter and had multiple different like 
rooms that I could live in on the station depending on where I was taking actions to make it easier. Like if I wanted to say do some work on the far end of the station rather than going back to the starting location, I unlocked a thing over there so I could just stay over there if I wanted to. And like you really do get the sense that like you're just slowly building a life here and like mm. meeting people. Um but no like what what I mean by Twitter where it's like it the game like the actual act of like reading stuff is like it just presents like a little paragraph of text and you press a and then it just like shoots up another paragraph and then shoots up another paragraph and then you make a choice and that kind of branches how your dialogue goes with that character uh it's very just like consumable is the wrong word for a story i hate it but it just there's just this consumptive act of like just hitting the button and getting that next little drip feed of narrative that like disco elysium and like uh 80 days and those sort of sorts of games really nail where it's just like rather than giving you a giant paragraph of text it's just like slowly um feeding you lines uh but unlike disco elysium this game is like it it can get heavy but it's not cynical like the mm. the game itself takes place on the space station that is like it's post collapse like the <laughs> Disco company... Elysium is cynicism the game it's oh, what it should have been like, called it's 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 a it's a beautiful story but like my god like it has no hope for <laughs> where things are anything where anything is going whereas citizen sleeper is like it takes place post collapse like this this uh, space station you'll come to learn was previously run by a company that just you know like a lot of huge conglomerates started focusing on the bottom line a little too much and it started trimming employment rates to maximize profits and started stretching out employment uh or like the the amount of time that people had to work on the job to get that little more out of people until an accident happens and mm. blows out like a huge part of the station yeah and the company is so, hits so hard with like legal fees that they fold completely. And then the question is, okay, so w- there are people still living here. How do they live when yeah. the system that held everything together is no more? Like what appears out of the vacuum? How do people stitch together a life? How do they fix the thing that is broken? Um, and and in in telling that story you meet all kinds of interesting characters like there's you'll meet a shipyard worker and their little daughter who you meet after like working on one of the spaceships you fill out the meter and then you uh you you meet them and um they are trying to finish this capital ship that's being built on the station in order to enter a chance in a lottery to win a slot on the crew manifest to help this ship make the 20 to 30 year voyage to a distant planet for new colonization they won't get to be in cryosleep but they'll be able to work on it and eventually they will find a place to live on a new planet um or there's a there's a doctor who initially like hooks you up with medicine and that leads you into this like uh to the underground of the um space station where you start to meet like this gang that like runs parts parts of the of the building and the relationships that they have with the people there's a there's a rest there's a guy who just runs a like a like a ramen stall and there's no meat everything's like all the proteins mushrooms so as you find mushrooms and bring them to him uh you start he's like okay you brought me mushrooms and before i can give you your food you need to give me a story you're a sleeper sleepers all have great stories 
so you start telling stories and you get to know him and he starts telling you stories um just lots of great stuff like that just like the way that it's able to find like like even when these systems wear people down you know mm-hmm. and like force them to you know maybe discard aspects of their humanity to exist within the system that there are still people i can't imagine who want why to you're find each other to this yeah right, right? I can't. yeah weird it's very weird yeah <laughs> it's no weird. it's good it, it's like it's it it's it's short it's way shorter than disco elysium there's not as much uh to it it like i think it takes about six to eight hours to like get through the game um it's clearly it's cl- clearly made by a smaller team um is this it, is it from ankle is it is it meg jayanthan oh no it's books? it's uh, uh what's the name of the studio i have to look this up um but uh, no it's just in that in that same fashion it's published by fellow okay. traveler um who i think i did they did they publish the 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 one roman game that i really liked last year oh the uh the weird skyrim mod thing yeah oh it's, city yeah i think it's published by those same people but it's um okay the developed by a studio called jump over the age which i'd never heard a one-person game development studio founded by gareth damian martin they he so yeah one guy essentially put this together it's really impressive it's uh it's just it's just good sci-fi you know like it's just like like it's really grounded um there's like uh like i didn't even get to the part where you get to interact with the internet there's so (laughs) there's also a sub level of the city where you can unlock data and like secrets uh of different like rival factions of the city and sell them for money or use them to complete quests but then there's a whole storyline that opens up there where like a uh, an AI like a security AI that has been kind of going rampant over the years since the station collapse is like starting to hunt you down. So like there's a meter that builds up each time you. Ha- it's so cool. There's it's it's really it's there, really neat. There, it's there, on. There, yeah. What there was a developer about ten years ago, and they persisted for a while. I don't know if they're still around, but they. It, they they simultaneously made largely text adventures were they called like the sunken city or the fr- either of you guys or, or know the hell i'm talking about they there's, made like there, there's a there's a game called this was it sunless sunless city yes they're sunless related skies, to those people sunless, oh yeah, you're talking city. about fail better yeah fail better fail better games fail better games this feels like like some real fail better games shit circa yeah. 2012 uh, in a very real way, like yeah. that, just that that sort of um, very grounded, grounded genre fiction. Uh, yeah, place. Yeah, it's good. It's like it's like it, just surprising. I was not expecting to be moved by it as much as I had, but yeah, like hearing other people talk about it, it's it's on a few short lists I think for Game of the Year for some people and probably online yeah no it's 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 an impressive piece of work and like he's still uh he's going to be supporting it for the next like year or so i think there's uh there's a roadmap where there he's going to be adding a few extra chat basically another storyline that he'll he'll add a new chapter to every three months for the next like year so there'll, there'll be more stuff to come uh i'm excited to see what that looks like and and 
what else he does like this it's just like it's it's just nice to see something that just comes out and is just really confident you know like it's confident yeah. what's it what it yeah. wants to do uh it looks cool the music's like it's like yeah vangelis blade runner kind of kind of music um Be and it's on like the soundtrack was like starts and it's less than jake what the- <laughs> uh uh no and it's on it's on xbox and pc it's on game pass and it's on switch oh wow i want to say so oh, it's on switch yeah oh, okay. yeah like i played it on steam deck and the text is fine like it's a mm. it can get a little small in spots but like mm. like the main like text that you need to read to make stuff happen it's fine did i tell you guys that i attempted to play planescape torment on uh, switch recently that's that is one of i the, did too that's not <laughs> That was a mistake. That was a mistake. That is that is one yeah. of those games where it's like I, I feel like I should play this because it would like yeah. unlock some key. I think to, the moment's passed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or the moment's because passed. like because yeah like you. I mean it's it's legendary. Yeah, yeah. it's legendary. Yeah, but uh, I think yeah I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. It is very 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 much. A game that was meant for people sitting four inches away from a computer screen. <laughs> it's like a, a very like sort of similar like you can't believe how deep this story goes mm-hmm. and weird systems and stuff like that. But like I, I definitely I, I felt like I needed like a helmet that somebody in a Terry Gilliam movie would be wearing to even tell what was happening on the switch screen. <laughs> Yeah, like five different magnifying glasses coming down. Uh, I'm very curious about this game now. I, yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know if I'd play it. It's like it is. It can be sad, but it's also <laughs> it. It is also hopeful in the end too. That like you know that there is. There y'all are, y'all and your your tortured yeah. soul. Like I don't. I don't engage with media to be sad or tortured because life does that it's, plenty. It's all about that catharsis, See, that I, release. I, the... I find it, we, the, all three of us, however, go in for very different kinds of being bludgeoned. Because <laughs> I, I like... I beg your pardon? Like, your... your um, tolerance for horror at this point, Susan, is so much higher than mine. Like, mine is atrophied. Oh, mine's not a tolerance. It's an active craving. Right, it's I like, need yeah, it. you need it. You yeah. need it. And yeah. whereas mine, yeah. like, like, the quarry is more intense than what I have gone for in the past, like, three to four years. Whereas I would have, mm. like, laughed at it. Like, it's UPN-level horror. Like, yeah. and now I, it's just, like, my stomach for it is just not what interesting it used to be interesting and dave like you you need like the the uh very sober existentially tinged yep. societal uh meditation disco yep. elysium yes. you need you, you need yeah. all of that but i need i need that light at the you end need the light. Yep. that's yep. that yep. says yep. that we can and yet you played frostpunk right <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but like Frostpunk is like like it's that still is, like it's humanity persevering, right? Like against it's, all odds. Well, because that, well, that's the thing. Like that. Like you want to try to play that game like a human, right? Yeah, right. and yeah, it forces yeah, yeah. you to make those decisions. Yeah, like that. I, that's the it part was that, too, Yeah, it's it, too much. 
It's a lot. I, I only played it the the one weekend where I got really into it because I wanted to see where it goes. And it's like, yeah, like I couldn't, I can't do it again. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. And I'm the surrealist, sur- surrealist. You're the, you're the Lynch guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm the yeah. Lynch guy. <laughs> and together we form, what's the opposite of Captain Planet? Captain Black Hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's the the opposite form, of- <laughs> with our powers combined, we form Captain Event Horizon. There you go. Yeah. There it Hell is. Hell is just a word. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go, everybody. Enjoy. Uh, yes, I, I watch that movie when I need to be cheered up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, like, I have, I have the same reaction to that that you do for like this stuff that I'm talking because I like like I like Event Horizon but like once was enough my god no your movie you guys, so your, good. Your movie you guys should watch Trash. shut you guys should watch <laughs> what is that what is that short for again it's can- carnivorous can- humanoid cannibal- underground dwell- cannibalistic, cannibalistic. <laughs> yeah, humanoid sorry. underground dweller yeah. there you go underground dwellers that's right that's so good I, m- one of my favorite April Fool's jokes was the was when Criterion announced the uh, Chud Blue Red. That's a good one. <laughs> like it, it made a whole product listing. Like they got like they they did the same kind of like copywriting that they do for like Citizen Kane, where it's a, uh, an effortless exploration of like you know the seedy underbelly of 1980s Reagan era, like. <laughs> Oh man, I, I, Keith Phipps, the old uh, AV Club uh, founder, who went on to like make the dissolve and everything else. Keith Phipps has my favorite line written about the movie Chud. He's like, "It is in, no one in history has ever watched this movie fully awake." <laughs> <laughs> Which is just oh, that's so which good. Is just, that's so good. That is just true. Like you need to be exhausted or shit faced or stoned in order yep. to watch Chud. Yep. Uh, yeah, man. So good. There you go. So good. Uh, Dave, who the hell is responsible for this? Who caused this? Dad. Yes, Patreon backers, Patreon.com/slash/continuepodcast. Uh, we welcome any and all support. Helps us pay the bills. Um, helps us buy Criterion copies Cri- of Chud. Of Chud, yeah. 4K UHD. Um, uh, yeah, so, and at the $10 level, I give special shout-outs to our backers, uh, which I'm going to do now. Uh, shout-outs to Josh, Jamie, Souza, John Bell, Toast, Adam Gauntlet, Michael Coffey, The Fancy Manatee, Stormshot, Double Taco, Matthew Peters, Denton Brock, Gluttony One of Seven, Eric Van Quill, Frank Sands, Tyler Nilsson, Shane Nilsson, Yaddle, Ryan Brady, Jacob Christos, Chris Cook, Skip Dippity, Canonical, Tom Coveney, and Nick Rugen. Thank, Thank you, guys. Honestly. Thank you all so you much. You keep us sane. And you have no idea how sane you keep us. Uh, don't come at me with that chud to bud the chud shit too i don't want any bud 
Oh yeah, there's a there's a real sequel that's like uh, like they decided to like go in like a trauma esque direction. Oh, but it is called oh Chud no! 2, but they did like like a Gremlins two kind get, of thing, get the, but get the no. missed the point with that Bud the Chud shit. Mm-mm, uh, mm-mm. All right, everybody, uh, you can back our show at Patreon.com/slash/ContinuePodcast, and it means the world to us. But if you cannot, just share this show. You 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 know people. Be like, listen to this. You'll feel good. You won't. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like we can't guarantee that. It's not like uh, like we go guarantee you'll feel good. You'll feel you'll feel something. We (laughs) guarantee you'll feel something. That's the part where we talk under the commercial under our breath really fast about how. Uh, you can may, may cause also, vomiting. May, do not taunt. May cause. That's true. We may cause vomiting. That's, uh, you the guys. You guys remember the old super happy fun ball SNL bit? Yep. Do not taunt. Do not happy taunt. Fun super happy fun That's the best one. Oh, uh, Susan, where can people follow you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Susan Arndt, which is my name, uh, or you can read my TV stuff uh, on Substack and have it mailed directly to your inbox at susanarndt.substack.com. Uh, this week, it's a twofer. I talk about uh, a certain character's demise in Stranger Things, and I also talk about why Captain Pike on Strange New Worlds is Space Daddy. Space Daddy. Uh... It's so weird. That's exactly what all of my letters to Werner Herzog start with. Uh, <laughs> Dear Space Daddy. Dave, where can people follow you? Follow me on Twitter at David Robots. Uh, fifthly on Twitch on twitch.tv slash continue podcast. There's, uh, there's a new fan translation of this weird PlayStation game called Aconcagua. What? It's like a late Sony first party game uh, about a bunch of people who were on an airplane who crash land in the andes and there's like government it's like in the vein of like metal gear all the voice acting's in english so it's like spell this uh a-c-o-n how have i never heard of this c-a-g-u-a because it was like tail end ps1 like into the ps2 era that's wild uh i want to stream this so i might do it it's uh so i Aconcagua is a mountain in the Andes, so it's named after that. So they're yes. just doing a live? That's what uh, they're doing? Yes. A 2000 PlayStation Adventure video game, only released in Japan, set on a mountain huh. after a plane crash, allows switching between characters. Damn. Uh, country is wow. undergoing political tor- turmoil. Uh, terrorist detonates a time bomb, which causes a plane to crash near Aconcagua's peak. Only five passengers survive the crash. Oh, my God. Uh, compared to amazing. compared to covert ops nuclear dawn uh a uh, sweary joint known in japan as chase the express as well as dino crisis parasite eve and the resident evil series play the shit out of that that sounds amazing <laughs> um it's the same guy who translated um Mizuna racing Falls. lagoon no, no racing lagoon racing lagoon that's a good writer he does good work uh all right everybody we'll see you in two weeks and uh, play some games. We'll see you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.